you've got a Bible here today, and I'll see you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Now, I know some of you might not. We don't have a screen in this venue at the moment, so you can Google Acts chapter 6 and look that up. And I did just want to let you know, for those of you who are maybe newer to church and the Bible and all of these things, there are some amazing free apps that you can download on your phone to use. So if you feel like, oh, I can't afford a Bible, I don't have money for that at the moment, Version is an amazing free Bible app that you can get on your phone today. Rory's a big fan. I must say I highlighted one or two verses myself this morning. But uh, you can read a whole bunch of different translations off of that app. It's also got different reading plans. So if you feel like you're in a place where God's speaking to you about love or courage or discourage, encouragement or empathy or fear or whatever it is, you can kind of look those things up and read those kind of Bible reading plans. And then the Read Scripture app is another amazing app, which has got maybe a bit more meatiness to it. You know, watch some videos on some books of the Bible and some themes of the Bible. It'll link you to some podcasts and blogs and just really help us to understand what is going on in the Scriptures, because we really believe that for us to be growing as followers of Jesus, probably prayer, knowing the Bible, and community like this are three really, really key parts of growing in our own faith. So, if you're not in Acts 6 yet, um, you can turn there. But I want to read one verse in the meantime, briefly, out of Philippians 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not sure what's going on there, Paul is writing a letter to an entire church community like this based in a city called Philippi. And he starts with this greeting to everyone, the saints, the overseers or elders or pastors and the deacons. And some of you are hearing that and you're like, "Ah, I don't know what any of that is. I know the church. I don't know any of those words. And probably the word saint is kind of weird for some of us in there. You know, who are the saints in the church? Because if you know that word, like to me, I was brought up believing a saint was like this really holy person from back in the day. They'd either done something great for God and had incredible character, or were just like heroes of the church that were on the stained glass windows, and we kind of remembered them in some way. But one of the interesting things is as you study the scriptures, in the New Testament we see this word saint popping up all the time, over and over and over. And it's really just a word that means holy one. And when Paul writes to the church... The saints are the holy ones, the Christians, the church members at the church in Philippi or in Durban or wherever it might be. And he's greeting these saints and saying welcome and starting this letter off. And I want you to know today you can use that as a synonym for Christian. I am a saint. That is part of what our identity is in Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees a holy one, which is pretty crazy. Like despite your past, despite what you might have done, despite what's been done to you, despite anything that you might think disqualifies you from that, when God looks at you, he says, holy one. And we want to become a church that lives into that and starts to believe that for ourselves. The second word that um, stands out there is that word overseer or elder or pastor. Now, Some of you are hearing the word elder or you've heard us use that on a Sunday and you're newer to church and you're like, this sounds like a cult. Honestly, like, I think if someone told me that they went to the gathering of the elders, I just picture these hooded people, you know, their faces kind of covered by shadows up to like nefarious, naughty things. But really, the word pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, all those words are quite interchangeable in the New Testament. And pastors are an interesting group. Elders are an interesting group of people. I think depending on your church background or what you know, some of you might see elders as like, CEO types of these bigger churches, or 
maybe as celebrities. Some of you might have been following the whole Preachers and Sneakers Instagram accounts over the last while. It really does make pastors look like celebrities, which is not something we're aiming for as a church. Some of you might see pastors as social workers or something else. I don't know what category you put them into, but the Bible puts elders into the category of shepherds, which means you are sheep, and this is a flock. This is a flock of God. And really the shepherds or the elders or the pastors of the church are here to lead, feed, care, and protect the church. Lead, feed, care, and protect. Leading means that the elders set the direction of the church. What is God saying? Where are we going? What are we about as a church? We lead the church. Secondly, um, feed. Maybe that also sounds a little bit strange, but that's more talking about teaching, you know? The elders of the church set the doctrine or beliefs of the church. This is what we preach here. This is what we believe here as a community of people. And they kind of are responsible before God for the teaching, but also are setting what we are growing in and learning as a community. So the elders teach the church, um, and they care for the church. Now, I don't know what your church background looks like, whether it's just Harbor City or whether you've been in other churches before. But probably the elders of the church are not going to be able to personally care for every person in the church and every need that arises, just because churches grow, you know. It's hard to know every name, every detail, every story, every one of those things. But the elders are responsible for setting up systems of care and making sure there are opportunities for everyone in the church to get care and get help. And we want that for you. If you're new to this church and you've got questions, we'd love to answer them for you. But probably one of the main ways that we do this as Harbor City is through our life groups or our midweek smaller groups, which is a place that you are connected, a place where you are known, a place where you can share your struggles or your needs or ask for prayer or ask questions. It's a place where you can live together with people in this church and where you can grow together in your faith. And lastly, the elders are there to protect the church. And generally that protection is against false teaching or against divisive people, difficult people who might come into a church like this trying to cause issues. Sometimes it can be protecting people in the church from one another or from tough situations or handling things that are going on. That's what the elders do. And I guess Brendan and I are the elders of the church who are involved in the leading, feeding, caring, and protecting for the church. But what about deacons? I don't know if any of you guys ever watched that show Nashville that was on TV for a while uh, with Raina James and her love affair with Deacon Claiborne, the very, very good guitarist. We also have a really cute boy in our church named Deacon Bale, and um, I don't know where he is. He's obviously that sad, but his parents are sitting just back there. Beautiful, blonde child, heart of gold. You should really get to know him. You'll like him. But this word deacon comes from this Greek word diakonos, which means servant. And the deacons of the church are the serving leaders in a community. And we're going to look a little bit more at that today from Acts 6, verse 1 to 7. And the passage starts and says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews, or the Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they had said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and get some of these names, Procurus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. 
And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I think going through the book of Acts, there's always action. There is always stuff going on inside of the church, and we see the same thing here. Here we see church growth leading to church change. And I know that we've all experienced that as we've grown up, you know. Your body changes over time. Might be hard to believe, but I've gone through a number of growth spurts in my life. I know I'm not the tallest looking guy in the room, but I do remember those kind of November to January periods between school where I was begging my parents, like October, I need a new pair of shoes. My toes are bleeding every day out of the front. They're just too small. Like my shirt was a crop top. You know, you'd put it on in the mornings. I needed new shirts. My folks were like, just hold on to the end of the year. We'll get you through. And then in January, clothes for the new year that would fit me. I'm sure some of you have had that as your bodies have changed. I'm not going to go into the details of all the changes that we go through. But I remember as probably a young, short 13 or 14-year-old, much shorter than I am now, um, trying to be cool with the ladies and trying to do my best. Um, And I had nice acne on my face, which made me look very, very attractive, all that glowing red. And I had braces on my teeth. And I was short. And I was chatting to someone, thinking I was doing such a good job. You know, I am so cool until my starting to deepen voice just went shrill and shattered glass all around as I went through the changes of growing up. And I don't know what that looked like for you. Maybe some of you handled this much more smoothly than I did. But as we grow, we change. Our lives change. And as we grow up, we change too. Go through new jobs, new relationships, new kids, moves to new cities, new homes. We grow as people, and our lives change too. And in the church, we want growth, you know. We, we say our vision as a church is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. We want to see people around the city of Durban come to know him. And we want to see this community grow as more and more people are introduced to Jesus. And not just seeing size happen, we want to go deeper as a church. We want to know him more for ourselves. We want to grow personally in our faith. We want growth. We want maturity. We want change. And that is what is happening in Acts 6. The gospel is going out. More disciples are being raised up. The church is growing. That uh, verse there says the disciples were increasing in number and there was so much to celebrate. But at the same time, one of the things we see here is something we all experience and it's that most people don't really like change. We don't like change, you know. We like things to be the way they are. We like to be comfortable. We don't like to be too unsettled or at least most of us are in that space. And for this church at this time, They were in a place of great discomfort and inconvenience and adjustment as all of these things were happening around them. And you can imagine as the church is growing, people in Acts 6 are saying to one another, who are all these new people? I don't trust them. I don't like their vibe. I don't know if I want them to be part of our church. Or maybe it was like the church is growing. We need more life groups. Uh, Some of the groups in the church are too big. They need to multiply out. Leaders go out and start new groups in new places. And people are going, oh, man. I like my group the way it is. I like my people. I don't want to see them go. We have like such a good thing going. Why do you want to ruin that, leaders? What is going on? Or maybe it's just, you know, I remember the good old days when it was just 120 of us in Acts chapter 1. We were praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And then the Spirit was poured out and he's ruined everything. And now it's all big. And I don't know all of these people. I don't like what God is doing among us, you know. If you're new here today, um, that's not us. We like you. Welcome. We do want new people here. This is just the book of uh, the church in the Bible, you know. But you do hear this kind of thing in the church often, you know. As people change and adjust, they struggle to deal with changes. 
And all of a sudden, with a growing church, there are more needs, you know. The church needs more life groups. It needs more people serving. It needs more people on kids' ministry. It needs more people praying for all of the things that God is doing. It needs people giving generously financially to support the needs of the church. It means people carrying responsibilities for the things that God is doing here. The church is growing, and it needs more buy-in from people. And that's this tension they're experiencing in Acts chapter 6. There's so much to celebrate. God is doing so much among them. But at the same time, there's a lot of discomfort because there's a lot of change and adjustment going on. There's a lot of new needs and discomfort and inconvenience. Kind of what the Bible is showing us here in Acts chapter 6 is not what you see on any church's Instagram account ever. You know, the awkward, discomforting uh, adjustment phase of church life. But this is the reality of church that we experience and that we see here in the Bible. The second thing is church change leads to new needs. Church change leads to new needs. And here in Acts 6, the leaders of the church get their first ever complaints. Like, honestly, everything's been going pretty smoothly until this time. Everyone's excited. They're amazed at what God is doing. And now for the first time, this tough email comes through or this tough text comes through. Now, listen, there are a lot of things people complain about in different churches. Some of them are valid and some not so much. So we had a situation a while ago. I was one of the elders at Red Point Church in Pinetown. I remember the guy who led that church, Nick, telling us that someone had come up to him on Sunday and said, my coffee is cold. And he was like, ah, like what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And um, just so you know, if you have cold coffee afterwards, um, please ask the barista team to make you a new coffee. I mean, the coffee's free at the moment. We want you to have a hot coffee. We really do. But if you just sit chatting to someone for a long time and your coffee goes cold, that's on you. That's not on me. I don't need to know about that. I don't need to hear from you. But they had a uh, cold coffee. Some people are like, ah, oh, the music is too loud. Some it's too soft. Some I don't like that style or I love that style. I remember some people complaining about the way we prayed, whereas other people were saying, this way of prayer has changed my life. Now I know how to pray and I'm engaging with God. And last week, these were some of the things we spoke about, like the non-essential preference, subjective kind of things of the faith. But here in Acts 6, we don't have that kind of complaints come in. This is a real complaint. This is definitely a just complaint. A lot has been changing. A lot has been going on in the church. And some balls have started to be dropped. And there are some needs. You know, what the elders or leaders could comfortably do on their own before, now all of a sudden they don't have that capacity and things need to change. I'm sure all of you have experienced these growing pains before outside of just your body changing. Maybe going from varsity to work. You know, I remember that period just going, I've got to get up at 6 a.m. now, that early to get to work. I know some of you get up at half past four in the morning. That's amazing. Uh, But then you get to work, and it's not just that you've got to get up earlier. It's that actually you could get fired. You know, you could lose your job. At varsity, you could take it a little bit easier and come to lectures late and, you know, not always hand in papers and get away with a few things. Now at work, all of a sudden, you need to be performing. You need to be making things happen. And you don't have all the leave you used to have when you're at university. You don't have this, like, three-month holiday at the end of the year, something in the middle. There's two other ones on the sides. It's a real bummer. Some of you have found that with changing jobs too. You know, you were in a good situation, a good environment. You were comfortable with the people that were around you. You knew how things worked around here. People knew you. You knew them. And then all of a sudden, you move to a new place, and people don't trust you as much or know you as well. You keep making mistakes because you're not used to the new systems and the new ways. It takes a period of adjustment or getting used to this new place. could be starting a new relationship 
going from single to married or having a first, second, third kid. All of a sudden, there's new demands, new challenges, new adjustments. You need to settle into a new rhythm of life. And in Acts chapter 6, what we see is it's the widow's ministry that gets affected by all of this adjustment that needs to happen. And they bring up a valid complaint. Actually, the ball has been dropped. We need help. But they do it in the wrong way. I want you to see here that rather than going to the leaders and saying, this is what we've experienced, this is like the struggle we've had, rather than saying, actually, can you help us? These have been our expectations and needs. Where are you guys at? Instead, they start to talk among themselves, and there's this gossip and slander and division going on. Texts are going out about what's happened. And you know what is actually happening? Is the church is starting to divide into two camps. You've got the Greek camp and the Jewish camp. And those two sides are starting to divide, and it threatens whether this church will be able to stay together or not. So let's picture it a little bit more. Every week, this church is having amazing testimonies of what God has done. Jesus is changing lives. People who before were living for all sorts of other things have now found the life that is truly life inside of Jesus. They've experienced forgiveness of their sins. They've encountered the love of God. They've experienced new life. They've found this new identity that's in Jesus. They can't stop talking about him. Jesus is the only thing that's on their lips. Their friends are getting annoyed, so they're like, fine, we'll come and see what it is that you've been talking about. We'll come and visit your church. And because of all of this going on, Peter, James, and John, all the other guys, they've got a lot going on on their plates. So Peter is out, and he's kind of at a counseling meeting with this group of people, and then James is out with a new members meeting, and then uh, John is trying to prepare a sermon for Sunday. They've got all of these things going on. Their schedules are full. They're struggling to get time to do all the things they're called to do. They're not praying much anymore. And one day, while Peter is meeting with a new couple who've just come to the church, and John has gone to the hospital to pray for someone who's sick, and then he's buying something for Sunday, and James is finally getting down to prepare a sermon, the call comes in from Matthew. Where are you guys? Where are you? I'm here alone. There's no one else. There are widows lined up all the way around the block waiting for lunch, and I'm the one who's doing everything. He's like serving at the front counter, trying to get people's orders right, because some people are gluten intolerant, and some people are vegetarians, and there's all of like this recipe thing he's got to get right. And then he's running back to try and make all of the meals, and he's making very subpar sandwiches, and he knows that, and he's handing them out, and people are taking them, but they're a bit disgruntled, and it's really hot outside, and one or two of the widows have fainted from the heat. And there's like murmuring going on. And the, gen- the Greek or Jewish or Hellenistic widows are starting to say, why are the Jewish widows getting preference? They seem to be getting their sandwiches first. Our widows have fainted. Theirs haven't. What is going on? And Matthew's freaking out. He realizes if this gets to the press, they're in trouble. Hashtag Matthew the racist pastor. <laughs> Hashtag widows down. He realizes if this gets out there, that actually this could divide or separate or be game over for the church because the whole community would know that this kind of thing is going on. You can imagine the elders kind of clearing their diaries. This is a problem we need to get to now. You know, we need to pray about this. We need to make a plan. People need help in our community. And they realize, listen, they've got some things they need to do. They need to be preaching the word. They need to be in prayer. They need to be doing the ministry stuff. But they can't stop with all of these other things that have to happen too. It's both and. What are they going to do as an adjustment? This moment in Acts 6 reminds us of a really big moment in the history of Israel with Moses and his uh, leadership of all the Israelites. And this is in uh, Exodus 18. It's a moment where Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to town. 
And he comes, and you can imagine he's really excited to see his daughter and his son-in-law. He wants to see his grandkids. And more than that, he's heard what God is doing with the Israelites. If you don't know the story at all, Moses has led the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. He's taking them into the promised land. There have been miracles and seas parting and all sorts going on. And Jethro finally arrives. He's a priest back home in Midian, and he wants to see what God is doing. And he arrives, and he can't believe it. Day one of his visit is incredible, you know. There's just millions of people camped out everywhere. His mind is blown at the work of God going on. And then he's chatting to people that have experienced these miracles. And he's asking all of the questions that he's wanted to ask. And he's hearing the stories. And his mind is a bit blown by all of this. And then on top of that, like he sees this pillar of cloud, which is going from the earth to heaven during the day. And he sees this pillar of fire by night that has been leading the Israelite people forward. And he's going, it's all true. God is doing all of this, and he's in awe, and he makes a sacrifice, and he just worships God, and he says, God, you're an amazing God. Thank you for what you've shown me, and the next day, he wakes up early. He struggled to sleep because he's so excited. It's just like God has like, excited him and encouraged him for what he's doing, and he's going to work with his son-in-law. He's going to work with Moses, which Moses isn't sure about. Bringing your father-in-law to work isn't like his dream day, but he's like, let's do it. And Moses sits down at his desk and he cracks a couple of Red Bulls and he gets into the day. And for Jethro, he's like, this is warning sign number one. Why are you having a Red Bull at 6 a.m. in the morning at your desk? And there's this long line of people that is all around the building kind of going all the way like around the camp. And from sunrise to sunset, Moses sits and he just meets with person after person after person after person after person. And Jethro is exhausted just watching all of this happen. And at the end of the day, Moses gives Jethro a number of numbers, and he says, can you just take these to the people that are still in line? They can be first in tomorrow. It's really just like home affairs in Durban, but far worse. The line goes far further down the block, people waiting to get to be with Moses. So he's leading three million people. He's carrying all of that responsibility on his shoulders alone. It's not a good thing. And Jethro watches all of this, and he has another sleepless night. And then he says to Moses the next day, Exodus 18, verse 17, what you are doing is not good. And imagine Moses like, I wanted my father-in-law's approval. (laughs) I wanted him to think I'm amazing. What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves So it will be easier for you, and they shall bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you'll be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. The apostles in Acts 6 need a Jethro moment. That's what's going on here. They need a Jethro moment. New needs in the church lead to new administration. What they do is they pick these seven individuals from within the church and they put them into this role as deacons or these serving leaders. And these people are going to be the ones of 
good character, who are mature, who love Jesus, who know the gospel, who are a great example to other people. And these ones are going to show the others um, both what Jesus is like, but are also going to lead teams and lead ministries and help others and serve the church and facilitate all of the needs. And this simple decision and the simple decision around these seven changes the future of the church forever. It seems crazy, eh? that simple. Now, can I just say this? Because I think some of us are in different pages. The Holy Spirit gives different gifts to the church. Some of you in this church have got gifts of administration and leadership. And sometimes we don't even appreciate those things, you know. Some of us are sitting here and we're like, oh, I wish I had more of the gift of prophecy. I would love to be hearing God speak to me more. I would love the specifics and the regularity of that. I'd love to be able to encourage uh, people with what the Spirit is saying. I wish when I like laid hands on the sick and prayed for them, God heard my prayers and I saw more sick people healed. I desire that. Maybe you wish that God would work in a way with miracles through your life. You would see him do these powerful, supernatural things through your life. But for some of us, what we do is we disqualify ourselves from being used by God because we look at ourselves and think, I'm not like so-and-so. I don't have their gifts. I don't have their skills. I can't do the thing they do. I've tried. And we disqualify ourselves and we think, God can't use me. He can't use me. I'm, I'm just not wired that way. God can't use me. But some of you here have got some other strengths that are just dormant inside of you. Maybe you've got this huge heart to serve. Maybe some of you uh, love serving in the background. Some of you love emails. You love organization. You love to-do lists. You love tick boxes. You love sending out texts. You love organizing groups of people and planning events. That's up your uh, alley. Anyone here feel that's them? Don't want to embarrass you here, but seriously. We've got two people over here. We've got a third over there. Going once, going twice. I know there's more of you, but this is a gift of the Spirit given to you. And some of you are gifted in other ways too. And I say that because actually the spiritual gift that the church needed in Acts 6 were the administrators. They needed the servants. They needed people who were going to get their hands dirty behind the scenes with the work of God. This was not a key prophetic moment for the church. It was a key organizational, key administrative moment. And the people stepped forward and the church was helped and strengthened in a powerful way. And what's crazy is to think that if the church in Jerusalem didn't do this, as simple as it may seem to some of us. Actually, all that God was doing, people that were coming to know him, the lives that were being changed, all of that could have been halted. It could have been spilt. It could have been completely missed because actually they didn't make these simple changes. These deacons were called to be these leading servants. It's not like they were called to do all of the serving in the church. We are all called to serve just as Jesus has served us. But actually, they were going to be the ones to lead teams and lead people and put these things in order and bring this change and this help to add to the momentum of the work of God. And what we see in Acts 6 is a church that is learning that they are the body of Christ, that every single one of them has something to give, that every single one of them has been wired specifically and uniquely and powerfully by God for his purposes. And whatever that wiring is or that configuration that is inside of you is something that God has intentionally put there. You are his artwork, it says in Ephesians 2 for the display of his glory. God wants to show himself off through you and your life and through your gifts. There's one more point I want to make, and it's this. Do you think everyone liked this change? This might have been a necessary thing, but I think this would have had a little bit of pushback. 
Do you think everyone was stoked that all of a sudden the apostles had kind of delegated the care of the widows to these other people? I can imagine some people saying, you guys don't care about the widows, you don't care about those in need, what is going on with you guys? I think probably what would have happened is it would have taken quite a while for adjustment, even for the widows. You know, If I can kind of animate this a little bit, they enjoyed pinching the apostles' cheeks. They enjoyed seeing Peter, James, and John and saying, it's good to see you, what's going on in your lives? Now all of a sudden they're getting to the front of the queue and adjusting their glasses and going, who are you? What is your name? And they're greeted by Nicanor or Procurus or Timon and Parmesan and all of these guys, and they're not very impressed by all of these people that they see. They want, they want the big dogs there. They don't want these rookies who don't know what they're doing. They want people who are skilled in these things to help them and serve them. But I really want to encourage us, Harbor City, not to get stuck in the era of Act 6, not to be unable to change, not to be inflexible, to be willing to serve, to be willing to play the role that God has called us to do, and to go before God and say, Lord, what have you given me? What have you put inside me that you want me to use in this community? What we see in verse 7 there is as a result of the service and the leadership of these seven people, it says the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love that so much. Every single one of those new disciples was a real person with a real name and a face and a story, and a past, and needs. And actually God was drawing these people together to Jesus inside of him. And I just thought for some of you today, maybe that's you, you know. For some of you today, you need to hear the fact that Jesus forgives us of our sins. For some of you today, you need to know that Jesus wants to help you and to bring some of the things that you're wrestling with to him and say, would you come into the situation? Would you hear my prayer? Would you help me? Because I know that you are able because what we're learning about in Acts 6 is that Jesus is wanting to bring this kind of thing through his church. Not just through one or two individuals, but through all of us. Jesus is someone who wants to heal the brokenhearted. And if you are brokenhearted here today, Jesus wants to heal your broken heart. And he wants to heal broken hearts through you. Jesus wants to set the people who feel like they are captive free. And you can be someone who helps people to enter into that freedom. Jesus wants to heal the hurting, and maybe you're hurting today. Jesus can heal you of your hurt. And Jesus wants to open our eyes to see the truth. And what they're learning, maybe for the first time in Acts 6, is that yes, they've got some gifted leaders. We've got some very gifted people in this church, if you look around you. But what God is wanting to do in Jerusalem, or 2,000 years ago, and what he wants to do in Durban today, is not going to happen just through one or two or three people who are incredibly gifted, using their gifts for God's purposes. It's going to happen through entire churches where every single person is using who God has made them to be to see the kingdom of God come. I wanted to ask if you could all stand this morning. So we've got like a little moment of celebration here. Can I ask Bevan and Faye, Glenda and Lorraine, Nathan and Candace to all come forward? These are um, some men and women in our church who, you can always move across in just a minute, unless you want to hold the guitar with you there. (laughs) These are some men and women who I'm pretty sure all of you recognize, whether it's just from being around on a Sunday. Yes, Nathan's been up front quite a bit as he's led us in worship so well. But this is an incredible group of men and women who have served this church tirelessly for years. Most of them have been here since day one in the trenches, serving and building up this community. 
And today we're really just acknowledging what they've already been doing. We're not kind of asking them to step up a level. They have served you so incredibly well with the gifts that they've got. And what we're recognizing today is really the fact that they are deacons in this church. They are serving leaders, leading groups, leading people, some of them um, influencing you just in the way they love you, care for you, pray for you. And what we see in Acts 6 is these men and women, or men and women like this, have an incredible character. They're not perfect. We're not saying they're perfect at all. But they love Jesus. And the gospel has been changing them from the inside out, changing where they speak to people, changing their emotions, changing how they handle money, changing how they work, changing how they interact with you. And their heart really is to glorify Jesus and to build up his church. And they're doing that in different ways. I'm sure that'll change over time. And we want to spend a moment just praying for them now. We want to lay hands on them like they did in Acts chapter 6. Some of these guys, uh, this should have happened years ago, but they just haven't been here on the times we've done this before. So we're really just acknowledging the role they already play. I think for a couple like Bevan and Faye, I think they've had, how many times have you had hands laid on you in a situation like this? Many. I think maybe six or seven. I don't know if it's more or less. These are incredible men and women. If you need help, you're welcome to speak to them. If you want care, these are incredible men and women. So we want to honor them today. We want to celebrate them today. And we just want to pray for them as uh, they officially take on this title of deacon. If I could ask you guys to come up. Friends, if I could ask you to come forward. We just want to lay hands on them. And Harbor City, we'd love you to receive them as deacons in this church. And just to pray for us, for the blessing of God on them, for wisdom, for grace as they lead as they carry loads for just the energy and power to do what God has called them to do. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill them. We thank you for the gift they are to us. We thank you for the way they serve us, the way they love us, the example they are to us, the way they build up this community. We praise you for them. And we receive them, Lord God, as a gift. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would give them everything they need for the task they face. I pray you'd encourage them. I pray you'd empower them. I pray you'd fill them with joy. I pray you'd fill them with love. I pray you'd fill them with grace to do what you've called them to do. And we pray that you would bless them amazingly, Jesus. some noise for some of our new deacons in this church. I think um, if any of these guys have blessed you or encouraged you in some way and they don't know please let them know. I think this would be a great day to encourage them because these people really do serve you tirelessly. We're not really acknowledging the other deacons in this church or the other people who lead in a specific way, but we want to be a church that really embraces the gifts God has given us like them, that thanks God for them and that encourages them and thanks them for what they're doing. So let's give them one more little round of applause. We're going to go out with one song of worship. So if you want to turn to your song sheets, we can sing and praise Jesus together.